energy so stalling, yeah. Everybody's running scared. We used to be so carefree, we used to be so happy, used to have everything we need. Welcome to Village Mentality, where melanated people are connected in spirit, love, and community. What's up, kings and queens, beautiful people everywhere? It's your girl, C.K. McGee, and I am your host. Hey there, beautiful people. How's everyone doing? I pray that you're all doing as well as you can be. Welcome back for another episode of Village Mentality. I'm so glad to have you all here with me in the village as always. And you're welcome to join me each and every Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Now, I'd like to give a warm welcome to those of you who may be tuning in for the very first time. And if you're looking to see what Village Mentality is all about, then I invite you to catch up on all previous episodes. You can find them on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Radio Public, and The Awakened Lounge. I also provide links to each episode on both Instagram and Facebook, and I'll share those with you at the end of the show. But thanks again to all of you for joining me. As a mental health advocate with lived experience, each week I'll be talking about different topics that could impact our mental health, particularly within BIPOC communities. An African-American woman, it only stands to reason that I would be concerned about communities of color and their mental health. Now, as far as mental health is concerned, it really does not matter who you are or where you're from because we all can be impacted. Now, we may not all have mental illness, but we all do have mental health and we need to make sure that we are taking care of it. The purpose of this podcast is to bring awareness to the many different ways in which our mental health can be affected, showing that poor mental health outcomes are not always caused by chemical imbalance, but from the various stressors, trauma, or circumstances that we all face from time to time in our lives. Through education and advocacy by individuals like myself who have lived experience, the hope is that we will be able to show up in more effective ways to support those around us that may be suffering. The stigma of mental illness and conversations about our mental health can be more difficult for marginalized and intersectional groups, and it interferes with our ability to take care of our mental health as we should. I cannot stress enough how essential self-care practices are for our mental health and, quite frankly, our overall well-being. So let's remember to make the time for ourselves, because doing this will help to rejuvenate our spirits and souls that we can continue to be the fantabulous kings and queens that we most definitely are. And I'll be right here to remind us of that fact each and every week. Now, if you've heard the show before, then you know that there will also be plenty of music too. So I need to give a couple of shout outs and, and I'm, I apologize because I didn't make mention of this last week and I should have, but 
you know, better late than never, right? Um, I, I want to give a shout out to all of the fathers out there, to the men that stand in the gaps, the mentors, the role models that understand the assignment, okay, in being there for our young kings and queens in training, because it's important to understand that your presence is very important to every child, whether they are a boy or a girl, right? I pray that you all had a wonderful Father's Day and that you know how much you are loved and needed and that you continue to be encouraged and inspired as you lead the way for our young people, right? Now, I also have to give another shout out to the grandmother of the Juneteenth movement who tirelessly fought to make Juneteenth a federal holiday, which was observed for the very first time as a federal holiday this past Monday. Many, many thanks to Miss Opal Lee, who walked from Texas, I believe she lives in Fort Worth, Texas, all the way to Washington, D.C. at the age of 89, she was at the time, I might add, to bring attention to Juneteenth, which is also known as Freedom Day, Liberation Day, and Emancipation Day. Now, for those who may not be familiar, June 19th, 1865, signaled the end of slavery in the United States. And although the Emancipation Proclamation was signed by President Lincoln in 1863, not all enslaved people were free. And those who were in Texas had absolutely no idea that they were free for like two and a half years. So for African-Americans in particular, Juneteenth is our Independence Day. So thank you to all the advocates and activists and to President Biden for making this day possible. It's been 40 years since the last holiday was established and that was for Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Now, I don't know about you, but I feel blessed to bear witness to change for the better, all right? Also, I wanna shout out my little brother, uh, you know, happy Father's Day to you. And also uh, he just celebrated a birthday recently. Um, honestly, I don't know where the time has gone, but I, I just still see him as my little baby that I, you know, couldn't wait to show off to everybody. And now he's a grown man, family of his own, doing wonderful things in the community. I'm very proud of you, love you, bless you, God bless you, and, and keep doing what you're doing, all right? Now, in observance of the 13th anniversary of his passing, I will be honoring the one and only King of Pop, Michael Jackson, all throughout the show this evening, all right? So I guess we need to hurry up and get started, don't we? Without further ado, I believe that it's time for me to take my first walk of the evening to my musical jukebox. Okay, Village, so to kick off my tribute to the King of Pop, you know we have to start from the beginning, right? Now, this song was recorded for the Motown label in 1972. It spent one week at the top of the Billboard Hot 100 chart, making it his very first number one single in the US as a solo artist. And it was ranked by Billboard as the number 20 song for 1972. That was a year, I might add. Hmm. Now, this song, it also won a Golden Globe for best song and it was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Original Song in 1973. Not bad for his first time out the gate as a solo artist, huh? Here's Ben by Michael Jackson.
That was Rock With You, and it was written by Rod Temperton and produced by Quincy Jones. This was the second single from his fifth solo studio album, Off the Wall, which is one of my favorites. And it was also the third number one hit of the 1980s, a decade in which the pop singles chart would quickly be dominated by Michael, okay? Now it reached number one on both the US pop and R&B charts, and it's also considered one of the last hits of the disco era. Well, Village, you know me. I'd like to take a little bit of time to talk about some things, whether it be about current events, entertainment, or something that's just on my mind. So why don't we get into my segment called Let's Talk About It. <music> Village all month long, I've been talking about PTSD in observance of National PTSD Awareness Month. And this week, I would like to talk with you a little bit about trauma-informed care that focuses on the trauma experienced by our children, right? Now, oftentimes as adults, we may have a tendency to minimize or completely dismiss the ways in which our young people are impacted by traumatic events that take place during their childhood. But we forget that just because they may be young, it does not make them any less human. And if we as adults can be impacted by certain events that go on in our lives, then we have no business dismissing the impact that it may have on our children too. Now, Missouri's Early Care and Education Connections talks about trauma and its effect on children. But first, you know me, let's talk about what trauma is, okay? So what is trauma? Individual trauma results from an event, series of events, or a set of circumstances that is experienced by an individual as physically or emotionally harmful or threatening, and that can have lasting adverse effects on the individual's functioning, physical, social, and emotional well-being, okay? Now, there are three main types of trauma. There's acute trauma, chronic trauma, or complex trauma. Acute trauma results from a single incident. Chronic trauma is repeated and prolonged, such as domestic violence or uh, some type of abuse, okay? And then complex trauma is exposure to varied and multiple traumatic events, often of an evasive and interpersonal nature. Now, early childhood trauma generally refers to the traumatic experiences that occur to children from birth to six years old. And children can experience various types of trauma, including natural disasters, sexual abuse, physical abuse, domestic violence, medical injury, illness or procedures, community violence, neglect, deprivation, dramatic grief. They could be victims of crime, like kidnapping, accident, school violence, and loss, okay? So those are some examples of the trauma that they can experience. Now, trauma, with regard to brain development in a child, okay? Research has shown that children are particularly vulnerable to trauma because of their rapidly developing brains. During traumatic experiences, a child's brain is in a heightened state of stress and fear-related hormones are activated. Although stress is a normal part of life, when a child is exposed to chronic trauma, 
like abuse or neglect, for instance, the child's brain remains in this heightened pattern. And remaining in this heightened state can change the emotional, behavioral, and cognitive functioning of the child in order to maintain and promote survival, all right? So it's like it turns on and it never shuts off, which is not good. Over time, these traumatic experiences can have a significant impact on a child's future behavior, emotional development, their mental and physical health, okay? So see how extensive it is, right? That's why we're talking about this village. Now, there's something called adverse childhood experiences, and they did a study, okay? And the study, which they call ACEs for short, it underscores the impact of trauma on physical and mental health over time. Now, the ACEs is one of the largest investigations ever conducted best associations between childhood maltreatment and later life health and well-being okay the study is a collaboration between the centers for disease control and prevention and kaiser permanente's health appraisal clinic in san diego more than 17,000 health maintenance organizations or hmos those members underwent a comprehensive physical examination and it you know, they chose to provide like detailed information about their childhood experiences of abuse, neglect, and family uh, dysfunction, okay? Now, the study uses the ACE score, again, the Adverse Childhood Experience Score, which is a total count of the number of adverse childhood experiences reported by respondents to assess the total amount of stress during childhood. The greater the number of ACEs, the greater the risk for the following problems later in life, including alcoholism, depression, multiple sexual partners, suicide attempts, smoking and liver disease, among other negative health-related issues, okay? So it's it's not just like, okay, this this happened as a kid and, you know, they'll, they'll eventually just grow out of it. Mm-mm. It has an impact on their life, in their life, um, you know, as long as it has not been like processed, but to even recognize that it's there, you know, is like the first step, okay? Now, information on assessing and treating children who have experienced trauma. The the National Child Traumatic Stress Network notes that children suffering from traumatic stress symptoms generally have difficulty regulating their behaviors and emotions. So you might find them to be kind of clingy and fearful of new situations. They could be easily frightened, difficult to console, and or they could be experiencing or expressing aggressive or impulsive behavior, okay? So when you're seeing these kinds of um, things going on with your child, let it not be the first thing for you to think that, oh, they're just misbehaving. No, there might be something that lies beneath. There may be something to that behavior and you need to you know, pay attention to it. Now, they could also have difficulty sleeping, you know, um, they could lose recently acquired developmental skills and they can show signs of regression in functioning and behavior, right? So if they're like six years old and they're acting like they're two, that is a red flag. You know, you need to look into that. It's not just bad behavior. So it's essential that children who have suffered trauma be identified and treated. The National Child Traumatic Stress Network has resources for mental health professionals, for early childhood providers, and primary care physicians in order to help identify, assess, and treat children 
who have suffered traumatic stress. That's a good thing, right? Now, if you're interested in learning more about the ACE study, you can visit www.acestudy.org, okay, so that you can look at the tests and answer some questions for yourself, all right? And then if you need more information about early childhood trauma, you can visit www.n as in Nancy, C, T as in Tom, S as in Sam, N as in Nancy.org. And remember, beautiful people, that we must practice village mentality, okay? Making sure that we're taking care of ourselves and each other. And in addition to that, we have to make sure that we're looking out for all the members of our village. You dig? Okay, kings and queens, have you taken a look lately at your workplace? I mean, I know that we're, you know, kind of still transitioning after, you know, COVID and all the restrictions that we had and a lot of people were, were working remotely, but I guess silly but surely, right? We're starting to return back into the office for those of you who do work in the office um, as opposed to the ones that work at home. But what I'm asking about is in terms of diversity and inclusion, what have you noticed? Hmm? Now, the diversity and inclusion report found that of 800 plus companies in various industries, 76% of them had no diversity or inclusion goals at all. All right. Now, Diana Singh, who's with DEI, which stands for Diversity, Equity and Inclusion, she's a consultant and she has conducted diversity training for nonprofits and Fortune 500 companies. And her new book, Actions Speak Louder, is a step-by-step -step guide to becoming an inclusive workplace. So I watched her last week on CBS This Morning, and here are some of the things that she shared. Uh, she stated that having a diverse workforce, it isn't enough when it comes to a company's professional development. She says that it's up to the business to create environments where all employees feel included, okay? She believes that if people started to think about their workplaces more inclusively, then people would begin to strive. So in her book, Action Speaks Ladder, she lays the groundwork for how companies and institutions can foster diverse, equitable, and inclusive environments. And, you know, she draws from her own personal experience as a biracial woman of African-American and Indian descent that, you know, she feels if you're able to create inclusive environments, you can create so many amazing things. So her book also was inspired by her experiences in the professional sector as well, where she said that she felt as though she wasn't seen, okay? And she also noticed that her ideas were not valued as a woman of color, right? She said, I really couldn't get to where I knew I should be or where I was hoping to go to um, as fast as I should have been able to as a result of that, right? Now, she advocates for diversity, equity, and inclusion being treated in workplaces as just another strength that can be beneficial to both employers and employees, okay? So like I said, you know, you have all of these companies and none of them have any goals and none of them have any goals at all to promote diversity and inclusion. And she says the reluctance to approaching these concepts in a workplace often comes from fear. Fear is crazy, isn't it? 
it will paralyze you and keep you from advancing, keep you from doing the things that are really important to do just because, you know, you have this fear of the unknown um, and it stops you from taking action when necessary. And she says, unfortunately, what we've done is we've kind of, you know, moralized this topic, the conversation around diversity, equity, and inclusion. And, and what we've done is for the people who get it, for the people who do understand that diversity and inclusion and equity is important, they're seen as the good guys. And then for those who don't see it that way, then they're judged to be the bad guy, okay? And really what it does is it takes away from us being able to understand that this is just another skill that can be useful in the workplace, okay? She provides tangible actions on how to get rid of these fears and tools for facilitating real change when it comes to diversity and inclusion within an organization. Diversity is an important issue for any modern business, but it's not enough to just hire people of different nationalities, races, genders, and sexual orientations. Everyone needs to feel like they are truly welcome, safe, and free to be themselves in the workplace. Now, Village, there are some who believe in order to achieve this, you have to start from the top, right? If diversity is not a company goal, then it's not going to happen. You need to focus on inclusive recruitment strategies. Once your company's leadership sets the tone, then it's easy to extend that attitude throughout the whole organization. You need to provide safe spaces for employees. And inclusive workplaces, they go the extra mile to consider the safety and comfort of all their employees, especially those from marginalized groups, right? You can also connect with employees, but be sensitive, okay? One of the best ways to signal to your employees that it's okay to be themselves is to connect with them on a personal level. Be transparent with them about your own life. And if you keep it real, chances are they're gonna keep it real with you, all right? You have to also give employees multiple ways to provide feedback, whether it's an employee survey, um, a company all-hands discussion or campaigns, giving your employees multiple ways to share their feedback, their perspective, and their stories will create an open dialogue that can lead to more positive outcomes. Cultural inclusion at work fosters a healthy work environment. It increases employee engagement and productivity, and it leads to more creativity and innovation. An inclusive culture is a work in progress because there's always something that can be improved upon. Companies need to make it a priority to take action to close any gaps so that all employees feel like they belong and are supported to thrive. Now, I would like to thank Nicole Fallon who authored this article from Business Daily and all of those included in this article who gave their thoughts and ideas on how managers and supervisors can make our workplaces more diverse, equitable, and inclusive. Now, this song is from his sixth studio album, Thriller, which was released in 1982. It was written and produced by Jackson and Quincy Jones. Now, it was Quincy who encouraged Jackson to include a rock song on the album. Now, Michael would later say that he wanted to write a song, the type of song that he would want to buy if he were to buy a rock song. And he wanted the children to really enjoy it, the school-age children as well as the college students. It includes the guitar solo by Eddie Van Halen. Now, this song 
It peaked at number one on the Billboard Hot 100, staying there for three weeks. And it also charted at number one on the Billboard Hot Black Singles chart. Billboard ranked the song number five for the year 1983, and it is certified five times platinum by the Recording Industry Association of America. The music video, which features Jackson bringing two gangs together through the power of music and dance, helped establish Jackson as an international pop, excuse me, pop icon. <laughs> I'm sure you guessed by now. Here's Beat It by Michael Jackson.
This next song was the third single from his seventh studio album, Bad. See, I'm kind of spreading the wealth. Now, it was another song that was written and composed by Jackson, produced by Quincy Jones. They did make quite the team, didn't they? Now, this song became Bad's third consecutive single to peak at number one on the Billboard Hot 100, and it charted mainly within the top 10 and 20 internationally. The lyrics of the song pertain to being in love, as well as the feeling of loving someone. Now, let's see if you can relate, Village. Here's the man of the hour, Michael Jackson, with The Way You Make Me Feel. And when we come back, I will get into today's topic.
Okay, beautiful people. So this evening, I would like to talk with you about therapy for Black women and girls. Now, let me start out by saying that this in no way looks to minimize the experiences of Black men or boys. Once again, it is designed to bring awareness to a topic that oftentimes may be overlooked. Our Black women and girls and the specific focus is going to be on you know, the impact that familial relationships and race-based trauma has on thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Now, to my kings out there, it is important for you to take a listen because we need your support more than anyone. So it's important for you to both understand and recognize the challenges that we face. This is in no way a competition of who has more pain or who has suffered more. Nope, that's not it at all. But it is something that needs to be talked about because our queens and our queens in training need support. And quite simply put, they're not getting it because people don't even recognize that they need it. Okay? When it comes to the nationwide conversation, the challenges of Black women go unmentioned in part because Black women are often pigeonholed as strong caregivers and providers who shoulder others' burdens and do not share their own. But burnout and stress are rampant among Black women, especially as many absorb traumatizing news stories and grapple with personal experiences of police brutality. And also, we have to consider the disproportionate impact that COVID-19 had on people of color. There is a pressing need to address this stress, says Angela Neal, Angela Neal Barnett, who's a PhD and clinical psychologist. And she's also the director of the Program for Research on Anxiety Disorders Among African-Americans at Kent State University, as well as being the author of Soothe Your Nerves, Black Women's Guide to Understanding and Overcoming Anxiety, Panic, and Fear, which was released by Touchstone in 2003. She says Black women are simultaneously affected by racism and sexism and may feel under pressure to hide their negative emotions lest they fall prey to the quote-unquote angry Black woman stereotype. Psychologists who work with this population say there is much to be done to improve the mental health of Black women ranging from expanding access to licensed professionals with experience in treating people of color to reducing incidents of racism and microaggression, okay? So let's talk about the mental health and health care disparities when it comes to our, our Black women. While the overall rate of mental health conditions in Black Americans is similar to the rate of mental health conditions in white Americans, Black Americans are more than likely than white Americans to report feeling sad most or all the time. They're also more than likely to say things like they feel like they're making an effort most or all of the time. Everything's an effort. And this is according to the National Health Interview Survey, which was conducted back in 2018. Black women are more likely than Black men to report sadness most or all the time. And they're also more likely than Black men to report feelings of hopelessness most or all the time. Now, I just want to speak specifically to that because that right there can also be, um, it, it can also be about how we're socialized, okay? You know, men in general are socialized to just fuck up and take it. They don't really talk a lot about their emotions or their feelings, okay? So it's not to say that they're not feeling just as much or more, um, you know, and in terms of, of feeling hopeless, 
okay, or feeling sad. It's just that women, you know, they're going to be the ones who are more socialized to talk about our feelings and our emotions. So again, it's not a contest, but we just want to make sure that we're mentioning everybody in the conversation. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of focus, you know, on our kings and our kings in training. But we also need to take some time to focus on our queens and queens in training too. Now, um, Black women, just to let you know, they face a lot of the health disparities that translate to a life expectancy. So at birth, it's three years shorter than non-Hispanic white women. So you're looking at 77.9 years versus 81 years. And that's according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, okay? Their infant mortality rate is 2.3 times higher in Black women than in white women. And maternal maternal mortality, excuse me, in Black women is also more than twice the rate seen in white women. Research is starting to find a correlation of these health disparities with racial trauma or racist stressor. So they're also starting to see a troubling pattern emerge among our young queens in training, as I like to call them. Black teenage girls outpace both white and Latinx teenage girls in suicide attempts with 15.2% of Black girls between the ages of 14 to 18 years old reporting a suicide attempt, okay? And that's compared to 9.4% of white teenage girls and 11.9% of Latinx teenage girls. Suicide deaths among Black adolescent girls rose, listen, 182% between the, uh, the years of 2001 and 2017. 182%, okay? Now, this research was led by Gianni Lewis, who's a PhD and a counseling psychologist at the University of Maryland. And she finds that Black adolescent girls deal with a variety of racist and sexist microaggressions from sexual objectification to judgment over aesthetics such as their hair and body type, assumptions about their intelligence, okay? Black girls, she says, are often subjected to adultification bias, meaning that they're seen as less innocent and more adult than same-age white peers. And this also has been the case when it comes to our, our, our young kings in training. Same thing. They're seen as older, so they're treated like they're adults when they're really just a child, okay? Especially when it comes to encounters with police, or in disciplinary actions in the school, right? So um, the bias, uh, this bias that's directed at girls, it starts as young as five years old, right? And it peaks between the ages of 10 to 14 years old with adults perceiving black girls as significantly less in need of protection and nurturing than white girls, according to Georgetown Law Center on uh, Poverty and Inequality Report. And it was called Girlhood Interrupted, the Erasure of Black Girls' Childhood. And that was released in 2017. Now, this bias can shape the interactions that Black girls have with systems, okay, particularly the school system. And this is according to Jamila Blake, who's a PhD, and licensed psychologist and professor at Texas A&M University, who designed and co-authored the report. And there was a follow-up to it called Listening to Black Women and Girls, Lived Experiences of Adultification Bias, which was released in 2019. 
He says, quote, this increases their risk for greater involvement in the school discipline system of receipt of more school suspensions, of loss of instructional time, and the school to prison pipeline. Now, usually when we're talking again about the school to prison pipeline, the focus has been on our young kings, okay? But this report is showing you that our young queens are also considered, okay? Now, um, <clears throat> understanding that our young kings in, and our queens, but our young queens in this case are just as susceptible, it's really, really important, okay? Because it's not talked about as much, all right? And something else that has a great deal of impact on our Black women and girls are stereotypes and stigma, all right? Now, there's little research on how adultification bias might impact Black women once they've reached adulthood. But as Black girls grow up, they may begin to internalize the level of responsibility that people have placed on them, they said. Now, Black women are socialized to be strong and self-sufficient. A stereotype sometimes known as the superwoman schema or the strong Black woman role. Now, this role, it has both advantages and drawbacks, says Inger Burnett Ziegler, who's a PhD and clinical psychologist at Northwestern University, Feinberg School of Medicine. He says it helps us to be resilient. Okay. It helps us to keep going in the middle of difficult circumstances. But the consequence is that strength often means not paying attention to feelings of distress, not paying attention to the impact of familial, relationship, and race-based trauma, and how it impacts our thoughts, our feelings, and behavior. Now, there was a study village done of 158 adult Black women by Natalie Watson Singleton, PhD and clinical psychologist at Spelman College. And she found that agreement with the strong Black woman schema was associated with psychological distress, partially mediated by the woman's perception of lack of emotional support, okay? Lack of emotional support. The whole world thinks that Black women don't have pain, that Black women don't suffer. If a Black woman shows any kind of emotion, then we're that angry Black woman. And not only is the world not supporting us, but a lot of times in our own communities, we're not being supported either. We're not being understood. And we're just shouldering a lot of pain um, from everyone else and not really having the opportunity to process our own, okay? So it's really important to understand that. Black women feel like they had to push their feelings down so as not to become overwhelmed because becoming overwhelmed, it's simply unthinkable. To be weak in a Black woman is damn near an oxymoron, all right? Black women are judged more harshly than white women when they display anger or frustration. And a recent study led by Daphna Moltro, who is PhD and professor of management and entrepreneurship at Hofstra University, found that observers are more likely to blame a Black woman's anger in a workplace setting as internal to her, okay? She's just mad because she's a Black woman, all right? As opposed to external factors. And they're also judged, I should say, we are also judged to be less capable leaders and worse performers in the workplace. Microaggressions can be another drain on Black women's mental health, okay? To make matters even more difficult, the counseling office 
is not always a safe space for Black women. Psychologists are now working, though, to make the mental health field more welcoming to Black women and more responsive to their needs. So access to therapy, it remains a pressing issue, and psychologists can play a role in lobbying for expanded coverage of mental health care, said Dr. Joy Harden, who's a PhD and counseling psychologist based in Atlanta. And she is the founder of the Therapy for Black Girls podcast. Now, ladies, okay, all my queens out there, young and, and a little bit older, if you have not had the opportunity to listen to this podcast, I encourage you to do so, okay? Because I have listened to it and there have been some very informative conversations may prove to be very helpful to you, okay? Now, supporting and mentoring Black therapists and other mental health professionals is another goal because currently there are only two to 4% of African-Americans that are psychologists, psychiatrists, and social workers. Did you guys know that? That's what makes it difficult to find someone of color if that's what you're looking for, right? Someone that you feel can relate to you. So, you know, what this means is that Black patients do not just face the difficult struggle of finding a licensed professional. Mm -mm. They also face an additional struggle of finding a professional who looks like them and has similar lived experience. Given the shortage, that is why it's crucial that white therapists and therapists from other non-white populations educate themselves on the specific needs of their Black patients. And so that's where we're talking about cultural competency and cultural sensitivity, cultural intelligence, awareness, cultural responsiveness, cultural humility. All of those things come into play. So if you're not able to find a person, then let the next thing be that you look for someone who's culturally competent, sensitive, responsive, who practices humility, understanding that, you know, as people of color, we have different experiences that impact us a lot differently than impacted them, which, you know, they don't experience the same things. So you want somebody, though, that regardless of their race, are able to be sensitive uh, to that fact, okay? Now, Black women are going to be in an interracial experience of therapy a majority of the time, says Donna Bethany, who's a PhD and counseling psychologist at the Family Institute at Northwestern University. As the question is, how do we assure them that this person they're going to work with will understand them? Okay. The combination of racism as a stressor and the expectation that Black women are always strong leaves its mark on the, by, on the body and mind. And sometimes the role of the psychologist is to help patients realize that symptoms, just headaches or numbness, can be tied to psychological distress over racism. Therapists can also teach mindfulness or deep breathing strategies to help Black women avoid the psychological consequences of stress. Particularly promising are interventions rooted in mindfulness-based stress reduction, like loving-kindness meditation. I need that. Loving-kindness meditation. And into, it's spelled N-T-U, and is an N-T-T-U, but it's pronounced into. And this is a psychotherapy that is uh, spiritually based, okay? Afrocentric approaches, okay? Uh, according to Cheryl Woods Gascombe, who's a PhD, registered nurse, and health psychologist at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill School of Nursing. Black therapists, she says, report using more dynamic and interpersonal interventions 
and more culturally informed interventions with their Black patients. Psychologists can also coach Black women on effective self-advocacy. You know, um, it is important that we learn to advocate for ourselves because we're not always taken seriously. When we go to the doctor's office and we're talking about pain that we're experiencing or the symptoms that we're experiencing, oftentimes they are dismissed. But you have to advocate for yourself. You have to fight for yourself because, you know, we're not a priority. And, and that's the truth. As much as it might anger you, uh, frustrate you, you, you need to know the reality so that you can, you know, take care of yourself, right? So we have to learn effective self-advocacy strategies. And we also have to learn how to express vulnerability without losing the aspects of the strong Black woman schema that serve us, okay? We also need to understand that Black women, we're not a monolith. We are not a monolith. We are not all alike. And what that means is that when a therapist asks upfront about racial and cultural identities and experiences with racism, um, this question is going to allow a patient to explain what matters most in their lives. So if you're working with an African-American patient whose ancestors were enslaved Black people, that person may have a different experience from someone who is a Nigerian immigrant to the U.S., okay? Now, one resource that many Black women must draw on is the strength of their family, friendships, and connections within the Black community, okay? Research shows that Black women cope with racism and sexism by leaning on loved ones and drawing strength from spirituality and the stories of their African-American ancestors. Sister circles, hey, I know you guys have heard of that. Sister circles or groups of mutually supportive Black women can be particularly healing. Sister circles are also a way to expand mental health access into the community as they can be embedded into our churches, sororities, and other organizations. Other psychologists are working to reduce the stigma around mental health and to make tools available to Black women. The Loveland Foundation offers financial assistance to Black women and girls seeking mental health care. Black Mental Wellness is an organization founded by four Black female psychologists, and it hosts a library of free fact sheets, coping strategies, podcasts, and apps that offer information on mental health and resources for handling stress. Now, Dr. Joy, who again is the host of the podcast that I mentioned earlier, Therapy for Black Girls, she uses ample references to pop culture and what um, she likes to call ginormous group therapy sessions. It's a vibe. It is because she did that during the, you know, the height of the pandemic and she was live a lot on um, Instagram and that's exactly how it felt like a, you know, ginormous therapy session, okay, where she was able to give tips and you were able to um, ask questions. It was really nice, okay? Now the podcast, it unites Black girls and women and helps to reduce the stigma of needing help. So again, I invite all my queens and queens in training to take a listen because it has become very clear that much of the healing for Black women happens in community, in our relationship with one another. Dr. Joy says that, you know, it helps with our resilience, okay, and um, our strength and in dealing with our sorrow, okay? So it's easy to overemphasize one or the other, but in order to effectively work with Black people, you need to be able to hold space for all of it.
think about um, the generations and to say we want to make it a better place for our children and our children's children so that they, 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 they know it's a better world for them and think they can make it a better place. There's a place in your heart And I know that it is love And this place came much brighter than tomorrow And if you really try You'll find there's no need to cry In this place you feel there's no hurt or sorrow There are ways to get there If you care enough for the living Make a little space, make a better place, heal the world. Make it a better place for you and for me and the entire human race. There are people dying. If you care enough for living, make a better place for you and for me. Strong, it only cares for joyful giving. If we try, we shall see. In this bliss, we cannot feel. There are dreams, we stop existing and start living. Then it feels that always love's enough for us growing.
That was Heal the World, which came from Michael's eighth studio album, Dangerous, which was released in 1991. It is a song steeped with anti-war lyrics and Jackson's wish for humanity of making the world a better place. In a 2001 internet chat with fans, Jackson said that Heal the World is the song he was most proud to have created. He also created the Heal the World Foundation, which was a charitable organization uh, designed to improve the lives of children. The organization was also meant to teach children how to help others. The concept of betterment for all would become a centerpiece for the Dangerous World Tour. Okay, Village, now it's time for us to have our inspirational story for the week. And this story today is called uh, The Weight of the World. All right, here's the story. Once a psychology professor walked around his classroom full of students, holding a glass of water with his arms straightened out to the side. He then asked his students, how heavy is this glass of water? And the students started to shout out guesses ranging anywhere from four ounces to one pound. The professor replied, the absolute weight of this glass isn't what matters while I'm holding it. Rather, it's the amount of time that I hold on to it that makes an impact. If I hold it for say two minutes, it doesn't feel like much of a burden. But if I hold it for an hour, its weight may become more apparent as my muscles begin to tire. If I hold it for an entire day or week, my muscles will cramp and I'll likely feel numb or paralyzed with pain, making me feel miserable and unable to think about anything aside from the pain that I'm in. In all of these cases, the actual weight of the glass will remain the same, but the longer I clench onto it, the heavier it feels to me and the more burdensome it is to hold. The class understood and shook their heads in agreement. The professor continued to say, this glass of water represents the worries and stresses that you carry around with you every day. If you think about them for a few minutes and then put them aside, it's not a heavy burden to bear. If you think about them a little longer, you'll start to feel the impact of the stress. And if you carry your worries with you all day, you will become incapacitated, prohibiting you from doing anything else until you let them go. Put down your worries and stressors and don't give them your entire attention while life is passing you by. So what's the moral of the story? Let go of the things that you cannot control. Don't carry your worries around with you everywhere you go as they will do nothing but bring you down. Now this song, Beautiful People, comes from his 10th and final album, Invincible, which was released in 2001. It peaked at number 10 on the Billboard Hot 100, and it was Jackson's last top 10 song in the United States until Love Never Felt So Good, which was featured, excuse me, which featured uh, Justin Timberlake. And that song peaked at number nine in 2014. The song was nominated for a Grammy Award for Best Male Pop Vocal Performance at the 44th Grammy Awards. I should note that the chart position of this song was based on airplay alone, as there was no commercial single that was initially issued in the United States. But the track did reach number one in France, Poland, Portugal, Romania, South Africa, and Spain. Here's You Rock My World.
That girl fine, man. Look at the... Oh, she just too fine. She knows she fine, too. She is banging. Oh, she's off the hook. She looks good. Oh. <laughs> You're right. Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. I bet you can't nobody get that girl. Chris, I can get her. Can't get in that girl. Mike, I guarantee you can't get that girl. Watch me get that girl. I bet you never, never, land. you can't. I can get her. All right, jump on in. Jump on! Watch. <laughs>
beautiful people that was the lady in my life honestly it is one of my favorites by him and although it did not receive as much attention as some of his other more popular songs it was considered the ultimate love song it closed out his record-breaking thriller album with this love ballad that was sung with incredibly diverse raw and melodic vocals it was michael at his best Well, kings and queens, it looks like we have come to the end of another show. I do hope that the information provided will be of help to you. Remember, it's always, always, always a good idea to do your own research, no matter what the topic is, especially if your life is involved. Thank you all so much again for tuning in this week. And I'm looking forward to being with you all next week here in the village, Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And please be sure to follow Village Mentality on Instagram at villagementality.ckm as in Mary and on Facebook at Village Mentality, the podcast. You can also catch all episodes of Village Mentality on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Radio Public. And I make links available to each episode on Instagram, again, at villagementality.ckm as in Mary and on Facebook at Village Mentality, the podcast. You can also catch it on the uh, awakenlounge.com backslash village hyphen mentality. And just remember that God has got me and he's got you too. Be blessed, beautiful people. And here's to brighter days. So stalling, yeah. Everybody's running scared. We used to be so carefree, we used to be so happy, we used to have everything we need. Yeah.